The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. Stephen Yaloff, the president and CEO of Tanga, a leading operator of open-air shopping centres across 20 US states and Canada, joins us now to discuss this sector and your business, sir. Stephen, good to catch up with you. Thank you, John. Thanks for being with us. Let's get into this. Traditionally, we talk about a Macy's and a Bloomingdale's being that anchor retailer in a mall. How has that changed and how have things developed for you? You know, the, the footprints of our shopping centers are considerably smaller than the, the larger regional malls. So for us, anchor retailers are in the 25,000 to 35,000 square foot range. So far less reliant on any one tenant in any of our shopping centers, but they're still great draws. So, you know, Bloomingdale still has an outlet business, uh, Saks off Fifth too, both of which they facilitate brands that you wouldn't get in typical lifestyle stores that you have in our, our shopping. So much has been written at, about at this sector, this industry in the last 10 years and usually it goes something like this moors dreadful dying it's the end it's not for you is it you see things quite differently well first of all you know ever since covid the open air shopping center has really been sort of the highlight in our sector um, people like the place where they can gather where it becomes a community space so the outlet centers of 10 15 years ago really power shopping experiences but now they're they're evolving we're changing the uses we're filling some of that vacancy that was created by covid with different types of uses not necessarily outlet uses bigger draws draw retailers where people want to come and shop every week as opposed to once a quarter. How much are you seeing uh, that bifurcation that we were talking about in Macy's with respect to uh, some of the lower income shoppers or people who are more looking for discounts and those who are willing to go to the upper end types of products? Well, you know, look, we, we see Macy's as a competitor for us because Macy's is branded value. And that's pretty much what we're selling all day. So for us, if we can create more theater, if we can create more excitement, if we can create more of an entertaining environment for people to shop, and I think they find that when they come into one of our centers where a Ralph Lauren store is end-to-end -end just Ralph Lauren. So you can shop the entire lifestyle, the, the, the brand, the depth, the breadth of the product in one environment where the service, and that's a huge part of the business too, is, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, all the different places where one can shop online or large department stores, I think there's nothing uh, more satisfying to a customer that when a service representative says, you know, you look pretty good in that thing. And that, that helps, sometimes helps close the deal. So you know, we want to make sure that we've, we provide service where a lot of those other venues don't. I need someone to tell me that I look good <laughs> before I buy something. No, look, this, there's a real question here. And I guess I'm going to the question of the consumer and the retailer and the ability to spend right now. There's so many sort of broader economic questions tied to your business to understand how many people are willing to shell out $100, $200 a day for the experience, for the walking up and down uh, the mall and uh, buying some food in the process. Are you seeing greater foot traffic increasing or do you see a real kind of pushback or restraint by consumers that have gotten stretched? 
You know, so our, our traffic numbers seem to be pretty consistent with where they were. Even in the peak, you know, prior to 2019, we're seeing more cars now in our center than we did then. Um, and I think a lot of that is because we're closer into where the public is shopping now. You know, the old narrative on outlet centers, we were so far out that it required a special trip and a special drive. And now what we're finding is people are moving to a lot of the geographies where our centers are. And we become the center of the energy. And because of that, in order for us to compete in those marketplaces, we need more variety. And variety comes not only with better outlet retailers, but it also comes with, uh, with better food and beverage, restaurants, sit down, entertainment, things for people to do. And that's why we're seeing the cars come. And they're coming more frequently. When I grew up, going to Tanger was a highlight, you know, twice a year. Now you're, it sounds like what you're saying is you're making this habitual. How do you do that? How do you see returning customers so that it's not just, I'm going to go to the outlets once a year? Well, let's take Deer Park, which is out in Long Island, which might be a shopping center that you visited. So you, know, you, you take <laughs> you a look at a well. center. Well, you take a look at a center like that. So, you know, it's up to us in order to, to make sure that we continue to drive uh, customers into the center far more frequently than they had in the past. It's just the variety of uses that we bring and the brands that people like. You know, the customer is evolving. They're getting younger. And, you know, it's really a lot of competition to get people off the couch and into a shopping center. So you can't just use great creative marketing to get a younger customer to come to your centers. They have, you have to have the brands that they like. So a lot of these new, cool, direct-to-consumer brands, brands you only saw online, but now you're seeing these brands in a bricks-and-mortar format, we're getting them into our centers, and they're serving as a big part of that draw. You said that renting an open-air outlet is less expensive than in a mall. Why is that? Well, you know, open-air, first of all, uh, the common area maintenance piece is a considerable charge to uh, a lot of retailers. It can pass through to retail quite frankly. And in our centers, you know, when you're open air, there's far less of that expense to uh, divide amongst the retailers. Um, you know, for, especially in our shopping centers, we're primarily southern-based, so, you know, snow removal is a huge part of the narrative, too, especially now. Actually, we just bought a shopping center in Alabama, and within the first month that we had that center, it snowed in Alabama, wow. believe it or not. So there's an expense piece of that that, uh, you know, we, um, we at least see some savings on Can that. we talk about crime in retail as well? If we had some politicians here, depending on their party, they'd tell you it was really bad or there was nothing to see here. What's the reality in your business, and is it regional? Is it state by state? Um, you know, I think it is state by state. And you know, look, it's, it's a problem everywhere. And it's something that we are absolutely rigorous uh, that when we, um, when we dive in. And technology has really played a great role in helping us think through that. How do you thwart off potential um, organized crime? You know, we uh, have great connectivity back to the FBI and other great government agencies that give us alerts when there are some things that are planned. And you know we have great surveillance on site, digital surveillance, drone surveillance, so that if an incident does occur, you know, we've got great opportunity to do Do you that. find the pressure, though, the burden has landed on you to spend more on security? Has this been passed to you? Well, you know, we look, we're partners with the retailers in our centers, and a lot of those retailers uh, contribute to, you know, we talked about CAM earlier, and they can contribute to that CAM cost. But, you know, look, when something happens at a Tanger center, it's Tanger that's on that, on that masthead. And sure, it's a, it's a big part of our responsibility. You know, we'd like to say that we provide a, uh, a fun, entertaining, and safe environment for our shoppers to come every day. And we'd love to be able to, uh, you know, sort of that be our hallmark as we go forward. And let's talk about rates, multi-decade highs. Can you walk us through how this has shaped your business in any way, shape or form? 
Well, well, for us, you know, being on sale every day, and I think that that's a big part of the narrative for us. You know, it's like the consumer had a, we were talking about trading down the consumer that uh, rather than spending their dollars on luxury products, are really looking for branded value. There's been articles written recently about um, even the highest end consumer shopping in stores where they were able to get the same products that they're looking for, but get them at the best possible price. And I think that's that's what we do every day. So we're seeing a lot of customers that we hadn't seen in the past coming in, at least investigating and looking at our uh, pr at, at our product. And I think we're converting a lot of customers that way. It raises a question also just about your real estate portfolio, because ultimately you do manage a whole host of different properties and you own them. And I'm wondering whether it's a time to be buying if you have all cash and you can buy, because people who do want to get out might have a more limited slew of potential buyers. Or is this sort of a place where you need to sort of manage a little bit more carefully? Yeah, well, last quarter we brought three new properties to market. So, for example, uh, we built a brand new center in Nashville, Tennessee, opened in October, and then we purchased two properties, one in Asheville, North Carolina, and then one in Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama being a lifestyle center, not an outlet center. So it's the first in our portfolio that is not outlet or off-price focused. And we think that makes a tremendous amount of sense because of the team that we built and the platform that we built focused on leasing operations and marketing. We think that team can execute to uh, outlet specific and then adjacent to outlet, which we think is what uh, lifestyle fills. Do you think it's a particularly good time to expand and be buying properties because of the discounts due to where rates are? Yeah, well, uh, for us, look, we have great access to capital. We've un untapped uh, lines of credit. We've got a, a relatively low uh, debt to EBITDA ratio. So our balance sheet is very solid, and we are definitely in growth and acquisition mode right now. More acquisitions. Where would you make them, and what would they look like? You know, we, we like the South. You know, we've been very successful in the South. Um, Open-air shopping centers are, you know, the... the um, Hours of operation and the months of operation are definitely you extended. You're saying that's a weather trade for you? <laughs> well, you know, it works for us for sure. <laughs> you know, look, we're a southern-based company. We're based in Greensboro, North Carolina. So we've, uh, we've grown up in that marketplace, so we know it pretty well. And like I said, our, our last two acquisitions were, well, we built in Nashville, but we acquired in, in North Carolina and Alabama. We hear from certain industries it's easier to do business in certain states than others. Would you say the same thing? Definitely. You know, and it's, I think it's more the community than the state. You know, when we build a new shopping center or when we come into a new marketplace, it's really that community. It's the local uh, government that needs to be pro-business or not pro-business. And when they are pro-business, it really works out great. You know, first of all, if you think about it, any one of our shopping centers employs a thousand people and where do they come from? They come from that local community. So we're, we're, we're additive from a, a job network and job creation point of view, but also we're a big tax uh, generator for a lot of those. It's refreshing companies. to hear you say it's about the weather. When I first moved over here, I thought, <laughs> old people went to Florida because the weather was nice. I didn't realize it was about the taxes. Yeah. Took me a while to catch up. <laughs> took me a while. Well, look at Jeff Bezos, yeah, Washington this, to Florida. Without a doubt, that's about the taxes. Yeah, but open air shopping centers is about the it's weather. It's about the weather, yeah, of I mean, course it take, is. I mean, honestly, in New York City, can you imagine? It's like a complete snowstorm where it's raining torrentially. It'd sound a lot of Canada like, Goose, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm sure, something Canada like that. Canada Goose. Stephen, thank you. <laughs> Stephen Yellow, appreciate it, sir. CEO of Tanga. This is bad humor today. Really <laughs> From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions 
alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.